Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. Well, listen, whether you're excited to be here or maybe you were dragged here by somebody, if you were dragged here to church this morning, you're going to make it, I promise. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be all right. Uh, but open up your Bibles, if you would, uh, to Genesis chapter 21, starting in verse 14. Uh, for those of you guys who are a first-time guest, just like to say once again, welcome home. Uh, my name is Matt. My wife Jackie and I, we pastor this incredible church called Fountain, and we're just really happy that you're here this morning. Really grateful that you're here. Genesis chapter 21, starting in verse 14, says this. So Abraham got up early the next morning, prepared food in a container of water, and strapped them on Hagar's shoulders. Then he sent her away with their son, and she wandered aimlessly in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water was gone, she put the boy in the shade of a bush. Then she went and sat down by herself about 100 yards away. I don't want to watch the boy die, she said, as she burst into tears. But God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven. I said, what's wrong? Don't be afraid. God has heard the boy's crying as he lies there. Go and lift him up and comfort him, for I will make a great nation from his descendants. Then God opened Hagar's eyes, and she saw a well full of water. She quickly filled her water container and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up in the wilderness. He became a skillful, skillful archer, and he settled in the wilderness of Paran. I, I want to speak to you today as we dive into a brand new series entitled Game Over. I want to speak to you from the subject of the plan and the promise. The plan and the promise. And I'm really excited as we, we dive into this. And, and the key and the theme scripture for this series, uh, if you make your attention to the screen, let me show you. It's going to come out of uh, 1 Corinthians. So, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 4, verses 8 through 10. It says that we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for our time together this morning. I pray that as we open up your word that you would change us in a way that only you can. Lord, we really want to encounter you today. And so, God, I just pray that I'd get out of the way and that you would be able to, to use me for your glory this morning. And, God, I pray that we would not leave here the same. Help us to see you clearly today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Well, listen, um, I, I want to take you way back in my life because your pastor wasn't always a follower of Jesus. It's very true. Matter of fact, I was a rebellious kid. I was a thug kid. I know. Go figure, right? In the world. I was a little bit rebellious growing up. I did not follow Jesus. Even though my mom raised me, quote, unquote, in church, my junior high and high school years and a little bit after I tended to, to want to do my own thing. I didn't want anything really to do uh, with God during this season because I had other plans. And, and uh, so I, I want to put a little bit of context before I get into the story. Now, before I get into my story, um, I had already had a DUI um, at the age of 17, getting ready to turn 18. I had two driving on suspended licenses. So let's just say I wasn't, uh, the law wasn't fond of me and neither was DMV, all right? And so, so that catches us up to, to a night that we uh, were out at a party. I was with, with a, a bunch of my friends at the time. And, 
And, uh, you know, people are partying, doing what you do at parties, and, and a fight breaks out. And, of course, it's with my friends because everywhere we go, we can't even, you know, stay more than, you know, 15 minutes or so uh, before something goes wrong or a fight breaks out. So a fight breaks out. And uh, we know that the police are going to be, uh, they're, they're going to be coming soon. And so we all, you know, gather some of the alcohol everybody's kind of putting in their pockets and, and we're getting ready to take off, right? Can't leave that stuff behind. And so, so we get in the car, get in the car, we're getting ready to, to pull, pull away and, and some sheriffs pull up, boop, boop, on both sides. Now, for everybody else, it might not have been a big deal, but as I said, I already had a DUI, two driving on suspended, violation of probation. That's like a year on vacation to Santa Rita. And so, so I, was, I was getting a little bit nervous, and my friends, they, they like to carry uh, weapons of all sorts, different sizes, shapes, all that kind of stuff. And so I, I knew, don't judge me, don't judge me. This is before Christ, all right? And so I knew that I was going to go on vacation for some time, so I told them, I said, hey, jump all your weapons in my car, just put everything under the seat. I'm just going to take the blame for everything. I'm going away anyways, might as well take one for the team. And so we get out of the car, I'm sitting on the curb, my, my head in my hands, and it, for me it was game over. I knew I was going to go away uh, for a, a long time. And so I just was sitting there, and, and I grew up in church, and so it's one of those moments like, man, what am I doing? What's happening in my life? Why am I making these decisions? It, it was one of those moments, and all of a sudden I hear, the dispatch comes on. And they said, attention all units, we need all units to respond to a 211, which I knew because I watch movies. That means armed robbery. And so I look up at the officer, he looks up at me like, I don't want to let you go. I'm like, yes, you do. Uh, and he's like... And all the guys were looking like, what do we do? And they said, boys, tonight is your lucky night. And they let us go. There was about, there was, there was probably about five minutes of this. And then nobody said anything. We just got in the car. And we didn't go anywhere else. And then we went home. Well, well two weeks later, uh, God was doing a, a, a lot in my life at the time. I just didn't know it. Uh, I really felt like the game was over. Not just because of that moment, but just because of the state I was in. I just wasn't happy. Um, I, I look great on the outside, but, but I, was, I was really dying on the inside. So I ended up going, get, jumping on a plane, going to St. Louis to visit my mom for a couple weeks just to get away. And that's where I ended up surrendering my life to Jesus. And the game totally changed. You see, many times, um, if you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. Is that our game over is God's game on. See, I, I, thought it was, I thought it was game over, but God said, nope, it's game on. And a lot of times when we're at the end of our rope or we're at the end of, of our success or quote-unquote success or we come to the end of our resources or, 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 or we find ourselves maybe at the end of a relationship, it can feel like it's over. It can feel like, ah, I just don't know how I'm going to be able to move on from this. But it's amazing when, when we see game over, God sees game on. See, we see death and God is able to see life. We see impossibility, God sees the miraculous. We see opposition, God sees opportunity. Now, all that preaches really well, right? Oppos opportunity and opposition. But here, here's, here's the truth. If you're taking notes, jot this down. It's really hard sometimes to see God's game on when it feels like our game is over. Isn't that true? Like we may even know theoretically that, God, I know that the game's not over. But it's really hard to see God's game on when it feels like our game is over. And I think there's a variety of different 
ways and moments that we come to where we feel like the game is over. Like for some of us, we've, we, we feel like we've let people down. That's a big one for me. Like if I feel like I let people down, I, that, that's, it, it can feel like a game over moment. Or maybe somebody has let you down. Like, like, like maybe, maybe you're, you're in school and, and you have these expectations of you were going to fit in a certain crowd or have a circle of friends. And it just didn't go that way. Matter of fact, people are talking about you. And this, this could be from uh, both young and young at heart. Uh, you, you don't really fit anywhere. And it just kind of feels lonely. Maybe you've been single and it doesn't look like there's any potential. And it feels like the game is over. I'm getting older. I'm not really sure what's going to happen. We have these game over moments, don't we? What about moms? Like, like moms, sometimes it can feel like uh, it can feel like you failed, or if your kid is going wayward, you're like, man, what did I do? What, I, what happened? Maybe you feel like you haven't been a good mom, or, or maybe on the other hand, you you didn't have a, a quote unquote good mom, or maybe you just lost your mom, or maybe there's some dissension and it just feels like the game is over. What about personal failure? I think this is a big one for us. We feel like maybe we failed in our career or, 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 or maybe we, we, we failed um, financially. And we're just trying to figure out, man, what in the world went wrong? Maybe we're, we're struggling relationally right now. And we, we can't really figure out what the next step is. And, and it just kind of feels like the game is over. I think no matter what scenario you, 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 you categorize, those game over moments, I think it boils down to a lot of times we have expectations that have been shattered. Why? Like we, we had plans and then the plans changed. Anybody ever experienced a change of plans? And, and, and when there's a change of plans or when plans change or when our expectations, something we hoped for, something that looked promising, a direction that we thought we were headed in, when there's a change of plans, we start to feel this tension on the inside. And I think we've all been there at one point or another. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or you're not a follower of Jesus, you've all felt this tension and these moments where what we expect is not happening and the direction we thought has dramatically changed. And it's in that moment, if you're taking notes, jot this down, it's in that moment that we come to realize that cha with change comes challenge. And like I said, you may not be following Jesus today, but you know how it feels to be in a moment where you feel like the game is over. And you're trying to figure it out. You can't really put your finger on it. You're like, man, what in the world is going on? And then as a follower of Jesus, I think this is the, the challenge that we face is many times when we have game over moments, we feel as if God isn't there. We start to question his promises. We start to doubt his word. We start to, to question his character and his goodness. Because why? Because with change comes challenge. And so, and, and when we find ourselves in the midst of challenge, challenge is hard. Change is hard. And there could be a variety of different reasons why things and plans change. But I think the difficulty of it is, is it's uncertain. Like, like we, we thought we were moving here and now we're confused. We don't know what's happening. What's the plan? How's this going to work? Anybody ever said those words before? How are we going to figure this out? What in the world is going on? And if change isn't processed properly, we start to digress to this reality. If you're taking notes, shut this down, of worry. We start to, to digress towards worry. Now let me define worry for you. 
And, and this, you might want to take a picture of this one and put it up so you can see it and understand that worry is simply an internalization of an external problem. Do you know a lot of data and research has been done that 70% of our thoughts every single day are negative, discouraging, and limiting. 70%. I was like, it makes sense. But I, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to awe you one more time. You know, 80% of the thoughts, of 80% of, those, of that 70% are thoughts that you thought yesterday. And so it's like the, this habit of, of staying stuck in this, this repetition of discouragement, of negativity, and limitations. And, and, and all of a sudden, in, in the midst of, of trying to deal with challenge, we find ourselves worrying. We find ourselves in this place of this, this internalization of an external problem. And what do we do? It's uncertain. It's unstable. I'm not used to this. And that's why God speaks so much of this reality of worry. Now, moms, you know how it feels to worry. If you're a mom in here, you know how it feels to worry. In fact, my mom used to tell me I'm the one that made her hair gray. I don't know if that's true or not, but I know that I stressed that poor woman out so much. Oh, mom, please forgive me. But moms, you know how it feels to bury a burden like that. And that's why God speaks to this all throughout the scripture. Don't worry about anything. Don't be afraid. Fear not. Why? Because worry is not healthy for you and I. In fact, look what Jesus says in Mark chapter 4. Jesus says it like this. He says, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth and, des and the desires for other things come in. And what do they do? They choke the word, making it unfruitful. Now, I, I started to, to, to research what happens when you choke. What happens when you choke something out? See, what Jesus is saying is the reason why worry uh, or what worry does is worry comes in and chokes out the word because it's focused on the plan. It's focused on the how is this going to work? How are we going to figure this out? What's going to be? What's next? What are we going to do now? See, worry focuses on the plan, but faith focuses on the promise. But I started to, to, to realize this, that that. Worry chokes out the word so it's unable to produce fruit in our life. Meaning we're not able to grow the way that God has called us to grow. We're not able to, to hit some of the heights that God has called us to hit. And so as we're dealing with, with worry, as, as we're feeling uh, choked, if you would, we have to understand what it feels like to choke. Now, I think all of us have, have know how it feels to, to swallow something and it goes down the wrong pipe, like water, and, uh, and you spit all over everybody else. Anybody ever been there? But when you actually choke, it's interesting, is, is when, when you're choking, when something is lodged in your throat, it messes with your mobility. Oh. You just start wandering around and you start doing weird movements. Now, obviously, you can't breathe, but it also affects your perception. You don't even see who's around you because the only thing that you can focus on is what is stuck. Your focus is on what is stuck. And Jesus said, listen, if we live a life of worry, it's going to choke out the word, and that's not going to make for a fruitful life. And, and so, so the question today is this, how do we not get choked by change? 
In other words, in other words, you can go to that. How do we hold on to the promise no matter the plan? Now, when I talk about the promise of God, I'm not just talking about a specific promise to you, but it could be that God has given you. But I'm talking about his word in general as well. God has given us a lot of promises in his word that can help us navigate through any situation, through any scenario. But the question is, how do we hold on to the promise and not get choked out by the plan? Not get choked by the change? How do we do that? Well, there's a woman by the name of Hagar. She's a mom that we're going to learn from today. And, and Hagar's found uh, in, in, in the book of Genesis. And let me just give you a little bit of her context. Now, you have to look at Hagar's story starting with Abraham and Sarah or Abram and Sarai. So, so God appears to Abraham and he says, hey, listen, Abraham, I'm going to make a nation out of you. But the problem is him and Sarah were, were pretty old as we learned last week. And they were looking like, how in the world are we going to produce a child? Well, they tried and nothing was working. Sarah was not pregnant. And so what ended up happening was Abraham and Sarah got, uh, got their focus off the promise. And they got their focus onto the plan. And they started to make some ridiculous decisions. See, uh, it's really important. It's really important that we, that we get this. Is that when we're discouraged, when we're uh, not feeling like things are going well, when we're in a state where we're choking, it's not a good idea to make decisions in those moments. I always have this rule, never make a decision when you're discouraged because it will probably be the wrong one. So they can't have any kids, and Sarah comes up with this crazy idea and says, hey, Abram, how about you sleep with my servant? Marry her, the whole deal. And Abraham's like, hmm, all right. Um, so they get married. She gets pregnant. Instantly there's tension between Hagar and Sarai, so much so that Hagar runs away to the desert just crying, hysterical. She's being abused and mistreated. And the angel of the Lord appears to her and says, says listen, Hagar, um, you're going to bear a son. His name is going to be Ishmael. And, and I, listen, his descendants are going to be more than you can count. In other words, I'm going to make a nation out of this boy. And she was so ecstatic. She said, oh, my goodness, you are the God who sees me. And she went back home. Well, fast forward. God did come through because God is the God of his word. God is the God of his promise, no matter what the plan looks like to us. And Abraham and Sarah did conceive a child. Now, when Isaac, um, Isaac was his name, and when he was about three years old, Ishmael at this time, Hagar's son, was probably between 15 or 17. And he was kind of mocking and harassing Sarah. And so finally Sarah said, you know what, Abraham, this woman's got to go. Her and this kid, like, we got our son now. Like, get them out of here. And Abraham's like, oh, but it's complicated. Like, that's my son. And you made me sleep with her. All this crazy stuff, right? And God tells Abraham, he says, Abraham, don't worry. Just let her go. I I'm going to take care of this. And this is where we pick up in the story. So Genesis chapter 21 says this. So Abraham got up early the next morning, prepared food and a container of water, and strapped them on Hagar's shoulders. Then he sent her away with their son, and she wandered aimlessly, everybody say aimlessly, in the wilderness of Beersheba. So you got, you got to understand this. God told Hagar, I'm going to make a nation out of your boy. And she said, you're the God who sees me. And I've seen you, like, this is, this is odd, this is going to be great. Now, it was probably a lot easier for Hagar to see the promise coming to fruition as long as she's in the house of Abraham. 
because they were well off. Cattle and herds and living decent, really decent. And so, so I, could, I could see myself settling down here. I could see myself, regardless of Sarah and I's tension, you know, find my son a wife and, and watch him grow and all this good stuff. Like, that's the plan. Well, then out of nowhere, there's a change of plans. And in a moment's time, she goes, she's rejected by her husband. She has a little provision. Just a little bit of water, and she's pushed off into the wilderness. And it says she's wandering aimlessly. Why? Because every, the plan is, is wrecked. It's not supposed to go down like this. What in the world is happening? With change comes challenge. And so she can't see. She's delusional in the sense of, I don't know where we're going to go. What are we going to do? What is going to be the plan? And in that, the change began to choke out the promise. And she couldn't see. See, we have to be so careful not to mix up God's plan with God's promise. See, God's plan, ultimately, he knows what it is, and he sees the big picture. The, the problem is um, we have an expectation, and a lot of times that expectation is shattered when pla plans to us seem to change, but for God it was the plan all along. But the promise never changes. The plan is subject to change, but the promise never changes. Let me, let me show you a picture, or, or, or let, let me say this. The first thing that, that, that I, wanna, I want us to really lean into. Now, we get to experience Hagar's story from a 30,000-foot view. She's in it, we're not. So we get to learn some things from her life that I think will help us as we find ourselves in the challenge of change. And when we find ourselves when the plan isn't lining up with the promise or how we think it should be fulfilled. And the first thing that I want to point our attention to is this. If we're taking notes, jot this down. Is that in God's kingdom, change is not catastrophic, but catalytic. In essence, in the kingdom of God, the way God works, great change and great challenge is never catastrophic, but always catalytic. It's not meant to destroy you, but to propel you, but to grow you. And so, but again, we have to be careful not to mix up the plan and the promise, God wants you to move forward, but we can't forget the plan is subject to change, but the promise is not. So let me show you a quick picture of this. Um, anybody ever used Waze before? So you may use Google GPS. I like Waze. Now, I was getting ready uh, a couple of weeks ago. I got the opportunity to speak uh, in a corporate environment to some leaders um, for um, a gentleman in our church for his company. And their, their meeting for their leads and their foremans was at 5 a.m. So, and it's in Hayward. So I'm in Livermore, so that means I'm up at 3.30 getting everything ready to go. And I get ready to, to leave. Now, I have a way that I normally travel to Hayward. It's very simple. I jump on 580. Uh, I connect to 880. I'll get off an industrial because that's the area that we were gonna, I was going to be serving in. And so I had the plan. But I typed in ways that the address, same destination, but, but it, was, it, it rerouted me a completely different route. In fact, it's a route that I never take because there's always traffic on this route. Always. I've never traveled this route, you know, at 4 a.m. in the morning. But, but nevertheless, I had a decision to make. The destination was the same, but the plans had changed. The way that I was going to get there, way said, if you want to get here and you want to be fruitful, trust me. And, and ways sees in ways that, that we can't understand, right? Like they see 
from satellite. So like Waze comes along and says, hey, listen, there's going to be traffic here. they got all these little symbols. You're going to go about 15 miles an hour here. Um, there's some police. There's some roadblocks here. Waze is awesome. And so long story short, I trusted Waze, and I got there record time, didn't hit an ounce of traffic, and I was blown away. See, the destination didn't change, but the way that I was supposed to get there completely changed. And I just started to thinking that, you know, his ways are higher than our ways. Uh, just saying. And the plan is always subject to change, but the promise is not. But, but I need you to, to, lean, to, to lean into this. Because all throughout Scripture we see this. Like, let, let's take Joseph as point in case. God says, hey, Joe, you are going to be a ruler over this nation and you're going to lord over your brothers. Yes! But then the plans, the next moment, his brothers throw him into a pit and sell him into slavery. Now not, as, now not only is he not ruling, but he's at the lowest point of authority. Like how do you sustain in that moment when the plan has changed so drastically, or at least it seems to have changed in your mind. Then he, he you know, he, he comes up the ladder a little bit. He works his way up as a slave, gets into um, a high official's house as, as one of the lead servants. So he might be thinking, okay, maybe this is my option. Then he's falsely accused and thrown into prison. Now not only is, was he a slave, but now he's a slave in a prison. It's like how in the world, but he holds his cool. We, we don't see Joseph losing his mind. I'm sure he had some moments. But then long story short, Pharaoh has a dream. Joseph gets elevated uh, to, to that platform just as God has promised, but it probably wasn't the way he planned. Probably wasn't the way that Joseph planned in his mind. But I started to think, how was Joseph able to maintain to hold on to the promise when the plan looked like a disaster. How in the world is that? Now, I, I heard my buddy, uh, my buddy, uh, he's a, a pastor in Walnut Creek, and he put on his, uh, his Instagram this week, and I thought it was a great picture. He said, I've been watching construction outside of my window for months. And to me, it just looks like they're moving dirt from one side to another. <laughs> right? And he said, but then I realized that construction looks messy to everybody except the architect. And I thought, I'm stealing that this Sunday, bro. Thank you. But, but it's so true. Like, how did Joseph hold on to the promise when the plan looked like a disaster? Well, well I, I believe that, that Joseph understood this. That Joseph's expectations were in the promise, not in the plan. See, a lot of times our expectations lie in the plan or the way that we think it's going to play out. And when that shatters, then we're a wreck. But for Joseph, he said, no, 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 I'm going to put my, my expectation in the promise that God is going to come through. So that way in the process, I'm able to be stable and ride it out. Because no matter what the plan is, I know that God is the God of his promise. And, and we see this with the Apostle Paul, don't we? God told the Apostle Paul, he said, hey, bro, you're going to testify um, in Rome about me. Paul said, good. Paul gets on a ship. The ship gets shipwrecked. Everybody on the ship is, is freaking out. They're, they're we're going to die. And Paul's just chilling like, relax, guys. I'm going to Rome, man. You're safe. I'm on the boat. And so Paul was able to, to find this stability 
in the midst of everything that's uncertain, in the midst of everything that seems unstable. Why? Because his expectation did not lie in the plan, but in the promise. That's huge. Listen, if you can just lean in and catch that today, it will dramatically change how you navigate the process. And you won't be so up and down. Now, now you say, well, what does that mean? Do I just kind of hang still and don't do anything with my life? Just wait on the promise? No, let me, let me show you what Proverbs says. Proverbs says it like this. We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. Meaning, yeah, make your plans, but just be flexible because the Lord might change direction. But in the mix of that change of direction, if you're holding on and anchored and have your expectation in who he is and the promise that he gave, it doesn't matter how the detour, it doesn't mean it's going to be painless, it doesn't mean it's always going to be easy, but you'll have a stability that otherwise you wouldn't have. Let me give you just a, a sub-point to this point and, and move on. I, I just felt like there's, there's so, much, so many rich things um, in this reality that if we can just grab this, it's going to dramatically affect our worry. It's going to dramatically affect how we deal with change and the challenge. And, and if you're taking notes, you're going to want to jot this down. Is that change challenges maturity. Change challenges maturity. You see, we, we're, we're, we're tied to permanence. We love permanence. And so when change comes, it's like, oh, it's coming to an end. It's not going to work. What's happening? It's like you're at a stoplight. Relax. You're going to make it. But we're just so tied to permanence that if anything changes, like, like, listen, moms, I know there are some of you in here today. Man, your life is changing dramatically because your kids are getting ready to graduate. Or maybe they have and you're in this major transition like, man, I devoted my life to my kids and now change. How do I do this? What do I do? But change challenges our maturity. Look what the Apostle Paul says. He says it this way. Are you guys with me? He says, but this is one thing that I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what's ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for, uh, for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Now, normally when pastors preach this passage, this is it. Everybody's like, yeah, forget what's behind. Let go of your past. Let's go of your pain. But how about let go of your plans? How about when plans don't go your way, are you able to let go of your plans on the way to where God is taking you? Why? This is so huge because nobody wants to preach this part. But it's important. Look what Paul says. Paul says, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. What Paul is saying is your ability, it's maturity isn't you being set in your ways. Maturity is you being flexible in such a way that you say, God, wherever you want to move me or whatever I need to let go of, I'm willing to let go of and move forward that I might be with you, that I might run this race that you call me to. Second thing is this, my last point is this, is that the end of the rope, the end of our rope, we have to understand is the beginning of God's. This is, su this is such a, a massive point. That the end of our rope is the beginning of God's. Look what it says in the text. It says this. It says, when the water was gone. So now picture Hagar. She lost everything. And now the water Serious, God, even the water? 
Look what she says. She put the boy in the shade of the bush. You know, she's probably at her low. She's at the end of her rope. Then she went and sat down by herself about 100 yards away. Look what she said. I don't want to watch the boy die, she said, as she burst into tears. So she basically said, hey, son, you, you know, death is on, on, they're on the verge of death. These guys have been in the desert for a long time. They, they, they know what dehydration looks like. They understand that a, a little food and a little water can only sustain for a certain amount of time. And she puts the boy over there and she just says, I just can't even watch him. Basically, we are expecting to die. And you know what, ladies and gentlemen, she probably could not have been in a better place. You say, what? Because the way that the kingdom of God works is a lot different than the way this world works. See, the kingdom of God, the end of ourselves is the beginning of life. The end of our rope is the beginning of God's. See, in the kingdom of God, it's a reversal of value. See, every other religion on the planet says you need to, you need to bring something to the table that God might let you in. Christianity is completely different. Christianity says not until you realize you have nothing to offer and you are in need of a savior do you get in. How exciting is that? I have nothing to offer. Perfect. Come on in. You're in a perfect place. I feel like I'm going to die. I got no water. I can't think I'm starving. That's great. That's great. Because, Hagar, I'm going to get you off of the plan. And I'm going to help you get your eyes back on the promise. Come on, girl. Look what the angel says. The angel goes on and says this. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What's the matter, Hagar? What happened, little lady? Like, what a question that is, right? But normally when somebody asks that question, it's because there, there's an obvious answer. Like, did you forget? Oh, you forgot. You forgot. You started looking to the plan, didn't you? And you forgot about the God who sees you. You forgot about the one that met you in the desert the first time and gave you a promise that your son would become a nation. Oh, Hagar, do not be afraid. I just felt I needed to say that to somebody today. Do not be afraid, sir. Do not be afraid, ma'am. Do not be afraid. Why? For God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. It's almost as if the Lord is saying, listen, I love that boy more than you. I hear the cry. Listen, it's okay to cry. It's okay to cry out to God. Listen, there's something that happens in a desperate cry that God responds to. And when you're at the end of yourself, remember how the kingdom of God works. If you want to be at the top, you got to become the last. If you want to win, you got to lose. If, if you want, the, the kingdom of God is a complete reversal. So if you have nothing, Paul said, I have nothing, yet I possess the angel said, don't be afraid. God has heard the cry. And then he said this. And Elvis, you can come up and play for me. He said this. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Lift him up. Can I ask you a question today? What have you let down that God has called you to lift up? What have you put down? That God has called you to lift up. 
Like what passage of scripture have you set aside because you've looked to the plan? What promises have you negated because of what you see and what you experience or what you thought was supposed to happen? Lift it up. Come on, who have you stopped praying for because it looks like they're getting worse? What have you put down that God was calling you to lift, God is calling you to lift up? I thought this was so interesting because nothing had changed about her circumstances, but she's hearing from God. And it's like a word from God can just snap you right back to where you need to be. And he says, listen, go and lift the boy up. The boy was a representation of the promise. Go lift him up. You're not going to die in this desert. You're doing way better than you think you're doing. And I got you. The plans have changed, but my promise has not. Don't think because the plans have changed that I don't have one, God says. Lift him up. And I thought this was so special. Because it says, it says this, it says, then, then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled up the skin with the water and she gave the boy a drink. God said, first what? Lift up the promise. Take it by the hand, whatever that is, lift it back up. And only when she lift up the promise were her eyes open to the provision. That is worth everything today. When she lifted up the promise again, God opened up her eyes to the provision. Listen, some of us have just been settling for a little bit of water when God says, I got a well. Listen, you thought, you thought I, I brought you out here to die? No, no, no. I have a well for you to draw from that will never run dry. I'm a God of my promises. I'm a God who is faithful. Your child has gone astray. Lift them up. That circumstance that you're, that you're wrestling through feels like it's dying. Lift it up. Listen, if you're in a great season right now and you're drinking from the well, lift somebody else up. Because God today hears your cry. I, I want to leave you with a story today. And I don't have any practical points because I really believe the Lord wants you to ask. I, I really felt like the Lord is saying, you ask him. You ask the Lord, what is your next step today? Because I think there's some things in your life that God, that you put down that God is calling you to, to lift up. Some of you guys need to dust your Bible off and lift it up again. Why? I'm, I'm going to tell you why. Uh, there's a pastor in Texas. He was hosting uh, a gentleman by the name of Pastor Miles Monroe. Miles Monroe was an amazing preacher. He just died recently. One of, one of the catalytic guys of, of the kingdom, man. Just an amazing, amazing man of God. So he was preaching in Texas. And, and uh, a, a pastor that, that's a part of a network that we're a part of, he, he was hosting him. And, and he had to get him to the next venue by 7 o'clock. And, and Miles was still preaching at 6.30. So he's like, Lord, you got to put a muzzle on this man. We got to go. And so Miles steps off. He's from the Bahamas. And he has this incredible accent. I was going to try, but I don't want to butcher it. But it's just, it makes the story, like, so much better. But he gets in the car and says, Mom, we got to go. Like, we got to get you there by 7. And he's just very calm, very just, very calm and collective guy. He says, oh, don't worry, we, we have a police escort. I was like, what? So two, two uh, officers pull up on their bikes, and they start driving 90 miles an hour through the city. So Miles just in the back reading his Bible. And everybody's just moving. Moving, moving, moving. But there's this one guy that gets in front of them and just doesn't move. 
And the, the, the officer is so upset, he, he, he pulls up on him, slides his bike sideways and hits the man's car. Like, let's go. I guess you could do that in Texas, right? And the guy like almost crashes and, and, and uh, the, 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 the pastor who's a part of our network, he was watching. He's like, what in the world is happening? And very quietly, Miles, looked at, My- Miles spoke from the back. He said, did you see that? And he's like, yeah, like our life kind of flashed before our eyes, type of a deal. And he says, what you just witnessed is the difference between power and authority. He said, you have power in your vehicle to go anywhere you want to go. But it's only when you come in alignment with the authority in front of you that doors will open that you will never be able to open on your own. And he goes back to reading his Bible. Ladies and gentlemen, as we come in alignment with the promises of God, as you and I put God's word out in front, as we lift it up as the authority in our lives. Listen, you may have some power in your vehicle, but there's some things that you're never going to be able to see until you line up with his authority. Sometimes not until we lift that up. The promise that all of a sudden our eyes are open up to the plan and the provision. But we got to get the order right. And so, so my heart's cry for you today is this. What do you need to lift up that you've put down? Maybe you're not even a follower of Jesus. You're like, what does that even mean? Maybe you've written off God because of some things that have happened to you in the past. Pick that up. Pick up all the doubt, all that fear, lift it up to him. Don't settle for a little water when you can have a well. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, what have you put down that God is calling you to pick up? Come on. Pick it up. Pick it up. Pick it up. Don't settle.